So today, we're going to start a brand new series. We're excited about a new series. Some of you guys are excited just that we're doing something different. Um, We spent a long time on our last series. Um, So this new series today, uh, we're going to call it Culture Shock. Have you ever had Culture Shock before? Yes, some of you have. If you've ever been to another country, you know, and, and I got a whole row back here that know exactly what I'm talking about, a bunch of people from other countries, and Jake, right? He's the only... He's the only American on the row, probably, and, um, and he's just there, just, just chilling with all the foreigners. But, um, but even coming to America, if you come to America, it is a huge culture shock. I don't know if you know that because you live in America, but, but coming to America. So I lived overseas um, for a while and then came back to America, and it's amazing. Did you know in America we drive within the lines on the street? It's wild. It's wild how we do that. In other countries, in Guatemala, they don't use the lines. The lines are there. They just don't care, right? So a two-lane highway is really a six-lane highway, um, and they'll just kind of maneuver around. But, but there's culture shock that happens to all of us. It's whenever we have a certain way of doing things, and then we enter into another place that has a totally different way of doing things, Right? Um, yesterday we were, uh, I I got roped into, or I volunteered for and didn't realize what I was getting myself into, uh, a little sand volleyball tournament with, uh, with Jordan and Anna Walker. And so I, I went out there with those guys and, um, let me tell you something. You will never know exactly how old you are until you go try to play sand volleyball for the first time in about three years. You realize real quick how old you are. I found out yesterday I'm super old. Um, and so we, we get out there, and this guy walks up, and this is Springville, Alabama. You know, this isn't the big city of Trustful now. This is Springville. And so this guy walks up, and he's got a revolver strapped to his, to his, uh, to his leg, and he's even got the tie around his leg like that. And, um, and it's just so funny that it's just not what you normally see. You know, people are talking about that. And, and I just thought that that just seems like a Tuesday at my parents' house. But, um, but it's funny. Everybody's got their own culture. And so when Perry and I got married, um, my family and her family are very different. Very different. My family's Christian. Her family, no. They're both Christians, both Christian families, uh, but we had very different families. So, um, so in my family, we called each other stupid a lot. Uh, we said, shut up. Um, we, and this is like just how conversations went um, for a long time. Every time, well, even now, every time my dad would walk into the room with me and my brother, we would be greeted by, what are you doing, girls? And so that's just kind of like... The concept, my family was just different. My family was very loud. We yelled a lot. Not in a mean way. We're just very loud people um, and, and just kind of mean and salty. And that's just kind of how we love each other is by saying things like that to each other. Um, and then I went to Perry's family. And guess what? They're super weird. Like, they compliment each other all the time. Who does that, right? Like, they're so encouraging. And I'm like, this is so weird. Why are y'all encouraging each other? Y'all not supposed to do that. You're family, you know? And so, um, so, so even to the point, like, we played a card game one night. And I knew Perry was cheating and, um, because she won the card game. And I was cheating. And there's no way you can beat me if I'm cheating if you're not cheating, right? And so I, she had to be cheating. And so I was like, Perry, you cheated. And like her mom immediately busts out a scripture. And she was like, Perry didn't cheat. She is blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And God is with her. And I'm like, not in cards. Like, that's not real. That's not a thing. And so uh, we just have very different families. Just very, in my family, whenever we first got together, uh, my family's big gift givers. Well, 
that's because we, there's only four of us. Me, my dad, my mom, my brother. There's just four of us. And so giving gifts was really easy. Perry's family had a, you know, a, a variety of children, a whole team full of people um, living in their house. And so their gifts were different. So one night we did Christmas at, at my parents' house. And, and we get there and like, like, you know, Perry's getting, you know, earrings and a necklace and a sweater and new pair of pants and boots and all kinds of stuff. And I'm getting all kinds of stuff. And it's awesome. Big Christmas. And then we go over to her parents' house for Christmas. And I will never forget this as long as I live. And I make fun of them to this day. But I remember Murray, Murray, uh, her oldest brother, who's my age, he got a pack of like uh, BVD underwear, like whitey tidies. And he was like, yes, I've been needing some new underwear. And I'm like, whoa, seriously? Like, where's the toys? Where's the gadgets? Where's it? No, no, no. He got underwear and Jonathan got some socks and he was pumped about socks. And then because Perry and Wendy are similar sizes, they got one pair of blue jeans to share between the two of them. (laughs) So our families are just very different, very different. And I was into some culture shock. And so the first few years of our marriage, you're laughing because it's true. You remember that Christmas. Our first few years of marriage, uh, I would go to their house and Perry and I would always have fights. We would always, have, we would go to bed angry. I know you're not supposed to do that. So we stayed up all night in bed awake, but we would go to bed angry at each other all the time. It got to the point where I hated going to her family's house because we were always, I was always getting in trouble, not her. I was always getting in trouble. And it's because I was trying to bring my culture into a place where it just didn't fit. And so my saying kind of mean things, whereas in my family saying something mean would be funny and we would all laugh about it. In her family, if you say something mean, they get their feelings hurt. Right. And so it was a different look. Y'all don't know mean until you come to my house. So so it was a different it was a different aspect. I'm very sarcastic. And in that family, it didn't work. And so it's just a different thing. Well, today we live in a society, in a culture that views Christianity a certain way. And, and one of the things, I was listening to um, an older interview, but it was with a very popular uh, Christian pastor. And, and in the interview, they were, they were asking the guy, they said, why is it that so many non-Christians, atheists, Muslims, I mean, the guy just goes through this list of people that should never be listening to this guy. They said, why are you so popular among those people? Why is your message so popular among this group of people? And the the interviewer said, are you, and the interviewer was not a Christian. He said, are you watering down what the Bible says for these people? And the guy goes, I'm not really watering things down. He says, I think people like my message because because my message is is, is all about how I feel like Jesus is here and the Bible is here to, to help us achieve our dreams and help us to be healthy and help us be prosperous. And he goes through this whole list of things that he feels that Jesus came for. And, and I'm going to be really honest with you today. It made me sick to my stomach because I thought this is absolutely not what the Bible is all about. Jesus didn't die a bloody death so that you and I could achieve our dream of owning a flower shop. Right? Like, he didn't do that because of that. Like, he came and died for a purpose, for a reason. And, and, and so I started thinking about that. I started thinking about how, how many different interviews and bit, different people I've, I've listened to that, that talk about uh, Jesus as a good man with good teachings to help us live a good life. 
I hear, and these are Christians. I hear people tell me all the time, uh, or I see people all the time preaching that, that Jesus is a way to heaven. He is a way of truth, but not the way that all paths lead to God. And, and these are Christians that are preaching this and promoting this. We talk about Christianity like it's just a label. One of the things here in the South is the South is a little more conservative in their views, but but even even with that, we just we just make Christianity means that I'm a member of a church. You're part of a club. And so we have this distorted view in our culture of what Christianity is. And so I, I thought about this and I was I was uh, talking to Pastor Nathan, talking to my dad, and just just hey, what are the direction that I want to go with this is, is to really give us a culture shock. That the culture that we live in today, if, if the culture we lived in really knew Jesus, really knew Jesus, they would be in for a surprise. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 2, 6, the Bible says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus' life and teaching was shocking to his culture. Every, listen, they didn't kill Jesus because they liked his message. They killed him because they did not like his message. Right? Judas didn't turn on Jesus because they, he liked his message. Judas turned on Jesus because Jesus wasn't doing the things Judas expected Jesus to do. And so we need to understand something that, that whenever we start saying or you start hearing people say that, that Jesus is this good teacher and, and we just apply his teachings to our life and we'll just fit in with everybody and we'll all love each other and everything will be good. Jesus himself said that, that his message would bring division even among families. He said there's going to be some families that are going to be divided between husband and wife and son and, 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 uh, and, and father and, and daughter and mother. He said because you're going to love me and you're going to serve me and it's going to go against the culture of your own family. So we need to understand that his teaching was shocking. As a matter of fact, there's a story in John chapter 3 where Jesus sits down with a, with a Pharisee, with a scholar of his day, one of the, one of the great teachers uh, of the Jewish, Jewish religion, and, and the guy's name is Nicodemus. As a matter of fact, not only do they sit down and talk, but they have to meet under the cover of night because Nicodemus is afraid of what might happen if people see him listening to Jesus talk and teach his message. And, and so in their conversation, Jesus says something that I think, think is important, and this is a foundational piece. Uh, as a matter of fact, this whole message today is going to be a foundational piece that we're going to build off of over the next couple of weeks. But here's what John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5 says. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, if you're highlighting today, I want you to highlight the words born again. If you're underlining, underline that. Get that in your system. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I, I find it interesting that Jesus right off the bat says, he gives some definitive thoughts here. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That is very anti the culture we live in today where everybody can see the kingdom of God. All paths lead to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 not all paths. There's one way. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom. Nicodemus is uh, confounded. He's in culture shock. The Bible says in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again, be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is shocking to Nicodemus because at that time, the, the, the Jews, uh, not only was Judaism their religion, Judaism was also their, their heritage. Judaism was their nationality. And so for them, being born a Jew puts you into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, your birthright is not the kingdom. Just because you are born a Jew doesn't make you a part of the kingdom. You have to be born again. It's got to start over. Some of us in the South just think, well, because I'm from Alabama, right? Because I go to church, that makes me a Christian. There's an old thing my dad used to always say, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Right. Just because you show up, just because you show up doesn't mean that that's what you are. And Jesus says you've got to be born again. There's got to be new life, something new. Whenever I'm born again, it deletes my old life. I don't know if any of you guys are, are video gamers or not, but um, I remember when I was a kid before they had video game systems that had a terabyte worth of memory on it. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, you had the Mario cartridge or the Atari, Atari didn't really save anything, but whenever I had the, the regular Nintendo and you had Mario and you would stick Mario in the, in the thing and you'd start playing Mario, you didn't have any way of remembering where you were. You had to start at the beginning, World 1-1, right? Some of y'all are looking at me like, like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. And you would play, 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 and you would get to World 8-3, and you would die at the very end. And if you lost all your lives, guess what you did? All the way back over to world 1-1. There's no game save. It was starting fresh, anew. And Jesus says we got to start fresh and new. So this series, we're going to build off of that. We're going to build off of the idea that, that every week, here's what I want you to do. Every week, I want you to start fresh and new. Every week, I want you to start fresh and new with your definition of what a Christ follower is. As a matter of fact, in our church, we don't really use the word Christian a ton. We, we prefer the term Christ follower because of the way the culture has defined Christianity. But Christ follower means I'm following what Christ, the way he talked and the way he lived his life. And so every week in this series, I want you to redefine. I want you to start fresh and new. World 1-1. I want you to know, hey, there's something new that I'm gleaning today. Something new that I'm learning today that's good, that may go against the culture around me. It may go against the culture, uh, my church culture. It may go against my personal culture or my family culture. And I may have to shock my culture a little bit, but it's going to be totally worth it. So today's message, well, let me just tell you, over the next couple of weeks, here's some things you can expect. You can expect to hear that being a Christ follower is going to mean that you need to be holy and humble. You're going to hear things like you need to be growing, not stagnant. You need to be practicing the presence of God. And we need to find out about what does it mean to be grounded in God's word. Those are some of the topics we're going to hit over the next couple of weeks. But today, uh, today's message is this, a Christ follower believes deeply. Believes deeply, and I know, I know right off the bat, you're like, Gabriel, we all believe in here. We wouldn't have come to church if we didn't believe. Well, that's just not true. The Bible says this, and I want to get into what does it mean to believe today. The Bible says this in John three sixteen, the foundational message uh, that Jesus preaches. He's talking to Nicodemus in the same passage as the meeting in the cover of night. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So let's talk about what does it mean to believe. In that passage right there, the Greek word that Jesus uses for believe, the Greek word that, they, that John writes down um, for believe, doesn't just mean belief one time. It actually means to go on believing. It, it means Jesus is saying, whoever believes, yes, but it's whoever is believing in me. It's an ongoing belief that we have to have. As a matter of fact, the word belief is also translated out as faith, which is in this same context, uh, fidelity or faithfulness. In, in other words, it's not a matter of I had faith one time. It's not a matter of I believed at one point. I was 12 years old and I came down to the altar and I prayed the prayer. It's not about that one moment. It's about an ongoing process of faithfulness and believing as we move forward. The Bible, say, the Bible is full of that. The Bible also says, we preached this in the last series, be filled with the Spirit. Remember we said that, said don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And remember we said that that word be filled meant continually being filled. So the Bible is not about a one-time moment. And what we do a lot of times in our culture is we focus on the wedding, not the marriage. And that's all. We can have uh, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar weddings. We can have all the trappings and all the the, the the nice dress and the tuxedos and the cheap plastic shoes and and all the things that we have at weddings. And then the marriage fails two years later. Why? Because everything was about the wedding. It wasn't about the marriage. We didn't put effort into the marriage. We put all of our effort into the one moment. And so Jesus and the Bible is full of this ongoing belief. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew 24, uh, one of my favorite passages, uh, it says this, verses 11 through 13. It says, and many false prophets, this is Jesus speaking. He says, so whenever we talk about the good things Jesus said, right? When, whenever a culture tells you that, that we need to listen to Jesus' words because they're just good things and they make you feel good. Let me let this feel good for you. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness uh, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Some people say, well, the, you know, they weren't really saved anyway if they fall away. Jesus says that you will have love for him, but because of the lawlessness of the day, because of the culture influence on your life, your love can grow cold. But look at what Jesus says in verse 13. I love this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end. So Jesus says it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. It's not about the launch of the boat, it's about the journey that you're on to get there, right? How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Who's been on a cruise before? Lift, lift your hands. Yes, yes, yes. Lots of you guys have been on cruises. I have talked to people that, I've been on cruises too. I have talked to people that have been on a cruise. And you know what? One thing I've never heard from a person that's been on a cruise is whenever I go up to someone and I say, Hey man, how was your cruise? I've never heard them say, Bro, that launch was amazing. Like the onboarding process was outstanding. We had to go stand side by side with a bunch of people we didn't know. And all of us had BO and they called it a muster station. I will never forget that. Nobody says that. Nobody says, oh, you know what my favorite part of the cruise was, was that moment where we're sitting at the dock and none of the restaurants are open and none of the slides are open and none of the places are open and we're just standing around. Waiting on the boat to move. No one's ever said that. They always tell me about the excursions they went on and the restaurants they ate at and the, and the pool and the things and the beaches. And they talk about all the things that happen in the journey. 
They never talk about the launch. But as Christians, we want to talk about the launch like the launch is something special. I, I remember one time um, I had a youth pastor and, and, uh, and, and Will does a great job with our teenagers. And I, I love having Will here with our teenagers, uh, he and Jamie. But like Will does this stuff like takes teenagers out to have fun. Like they went to Alabama Adventure and did water slides. Um, now, they're about to go down in a couple of weeks. They're going to go do a love life walk, and that's going to be pretty cool. They're going to do a, a prayer walk downtown. But my youth pastor used to take us out on Friday nights. Uh, we lived in Auburn, and he would take a bunch of teenagers down to this one particular bar, and we would stand outside the bar, and we would tell people about Jesus. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm very introverted when I'm not on stage. It is very difficult for me. I have to force myself to go talk to people when I'm not on, on stage. It's easy. Out there is very difficult. And so he would make us go talk to these people. And I remember talking to this one lady, and she was sloppy drunk, right? Like, you know the difference when, uh, when someone's, like, a little bit drunk and someone's, like, sloppy drunk. She is sloppy drunk. Like, she's hitting on every one of us. And I'm, like, I'm pretty sure you're going to get arrested for hitting on me because I'm pretty young. And, um, and she was just walking around, staggering around. And I began to tell her about Jesus. And she said, I don't need to know about Jesus. I got saved when I was 12 years old. And I said, yeah, but like, what about now? Like, like what about that whole thing that says no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven? Like, have you thought about that recently? Because that was a long time ago, 12 years old, a long time ago for you. And, and, and this, it's this mentality that we have that if I just have that one moment, right? If I just have that one moment, then, then everything else will take care of itself. No, 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 no. It's believing, it's an ongoing process of believing. It's about the journey. It's about finishing. It's not about the launch. The second thing we need to know about believing is believing deeply is life-changing. If I believe something deep enough, it can change the way I think and the way I act. I knew this girl one time. She didn't like the doctor. Her name is Ashley. And her and her husband are pastors across town, so they're probably never going to watch this. So I can talk about her all I want. And Wendy's texting her right now. But I remember one time, I actually didn't want to go to school. And, um, and she had skipped school so much that they were about to, like, fail her, right? It was like one of those deals. And so in order for her to miss school, she had to have a doctor's excuse. But not only did she not like going to school, she also didn't like going to the doctor. And so Ashley had worked herself up so much, believing that she was sick, even though she was healthy, she worked herself up so much that she ended up having a fever and got a doctor's excuse out of it. Sometimes what we believe can change the way we live and act. So here's what the Bible says in, in Peter, in Peter, Nope. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples, preaches his first sermon. And it's an apparently an amazing sermon because the Bible says that like 3,000 people gave their hearts to Christ at the end of this sermon. So here's what Peter says. In verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel know therefore, uh, uh, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus, Peter's preaching... And he says this, here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to know for certain. 
Know for certain means to believe deeply, to know for a fact, to believe it down inside your bones. He says, I don't need you to just know who Jesus is. I need you to know Jesus in an intimate way. I need you to experience him. I need you to know for certain, right? I need you to know for certain that he's your Lord and Messiah. Those words cut so deeply that the Bible says in verse 36, now when they heard these, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love the fact that these guys hear this word on belief that you've got to know for certain that it's got to be a deep belief so much so that they're saying we're willing to do anything. When you believe something deeply enough, you are willing to do anything to fall in line with that belief. You're willing to do anything. Peter says... Uh, Peter said to them, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever I hear that, I, I, I begin to think, one of the terms we use here at our church is the term repent. And we use the term repent a lot. Now, now I've, been to, um, I, I've been to Mardi Gras before, uh, you know, witnessing to people, telling people about the Lord, and, and I, I've seen the signs of the turn or burn, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all know these kind of... Uh, this, this, this message of turn or burn and, and repent or go to hell and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and the word repent sometimes is used in such a, um, I'm not going to say negative, it's a good context. It, it makes sense. Yes, there, hell is real. And yes, if you don't turn from your evil ways, you know, we will go to hell. That is a part of the, the scriptures. But the way they use it is such an attack on people. And so the word, the term repent becomes like a byword, a scary word. But in our church, we try to teach people that repentance is totally normal. Repentance is totally normal. Repentance should be one of the habits of our life as a Christian. As a Christ follower, we should constantly be repenting. Why? Because when I believe in him, I'm going to see things and recognize things in my life that need to change. When I truly believe in him, when I know for certain that he's my Lord and Messiah, when I know him intimately, I'm going to see things in my life that need to change. Have you ever been around somebody that... Um, you know, maybe, maybe they were really into fitness or really into eating good and, and you get around them and you see their life change and you see the good things. And then all of a sudden when you get around them, like y'all go to the restaurant and they order the grilled chicken with the salad on the side and you're wanting the greasy hamburger with the French fries. But you get around this one person, right? And you're like, yeah, I'll suffer today. I'll take the grilled chicken too, please. You know, it's like, then you're just mad the whole time. Why? What happens? You get around somebody that's living a higher standard than you or a better standard than you, and all of a sudden you want to kind of be more like them. The word repentance just means to change. It's a, it, 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 like the word, it, same root words as metamorphosis, which means to completely change, but repentance talks about a changing of the mind, that, that we change the way we think about some things. And, and so the closer I get to God, the more I believe in, in Christ, the, the easier repentance becomes for me. Psalm 139, uh, verses 24 through 20, uh, 23 through 24, it says, them, it says this, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When David wrote that, he's saying this, he's saying, listen, I'm already a follower. I got that part down. I already believe. I got that part down. But because I believe, I don't want there to be anything in me that doesn't believe. I don't want there to be anything in me that might offend you. 
So, so for us as Christ's followers, we have to learn that, that confession and repentance become a part of everything that we do. And I promise you this, let, let me just say this, for those of you that are married, or those of you that want to get married one day, learn how to repent. And learn how to repent quickly. Because in married life, if you're a man, you will have to repent all the time. If you're a woman, they don't ever repent for nothing. But men, we always have to repent, right? It, listen, it, it's, it's, it's so true, though, because in life there are plenty of times when Perry will point out the things in me that are wrong. Wow, I feel kind of down right now. She points out the things in me that are wrong, and I have to change those things, right? I'm like, babe, I, I need to change. When, when she and I had our issues of me going to their house and being a, 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 a jerk, right, there were some things in me that had to change to fit into the culture that I needed to fit into. And for us to be Christ followers, there may be some things in us that have to change, and they may have to change every day. I heard someone say this one time. They said, being a Christ follower is like being an onion. And you get, uh, you know, you, you come to Christ and you ask God to forgive you and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. And we'll get into that in just a second. And, and whenever you do, it's like the peel of an onion comes off. That old, dirty, nasty peel of an onion comes off and it gets peeled off. And you got that fresh, uh, clean, uh, you know, translucent onion sitting there. And it's, it's so beautiful and it... And, but then after a while, that part can get dirty too and you peel another layer off. Sometimes there are aspects of my life that need to be peeled off to reveal what, what's inside of me. And, and so that's where repentance comes in. There's always things that I'm finding, oh God, I need to change this attitude or I need to change this pattern that I've been stuck in for so long. I, I need to change the way I think about uh, this, this person or this situation. And so I'm always asking God, I'm saying, God, please Forgive me, and I want to repent of this. I want to change. And a big part of that is confession. A big part of that is confession. Why? Because it's humbling. But if I confess to my wife something that I've done, now I've got someone to keep me accountable. If I confess to Pastor Jonathan something that I've done, now I've got somebody to keep me accountable. Somebody that's always looking out for me, that helps me find freedom. I'm not battling alone. So you need to understand that. The Bible says that we carry each other's burdens right? Maybe your burden is a sin, or maybe your burden is an attitude. Maybe your burden is something that, that, that you need to get free from, and we need to give it to someone else to help us carry that so that we can find freedom in it. Let's move on. The last thing is this, or the third thing is this, that about belief. What do I believe in? It's good to have belief. It's good to believe deeply, but what do I need to believe deeply in? I'm going to give you just a couple of things today that Jesus said about himself. And, and then, you know, there's, there's a million things you can do. But if we can just believe in, in these four things, I, I think it's going to be huge. Because, number one, we need to believe that he is Lord. He is Lord. Now, Lord is a term we don't use anymore. But you, you do kind of use it a little bit whenever you say landlord, right? Someone is your landlord. Um, have you ever had a landlord before, right? We had a, we, when we lived in, uh, when we lived, when we lived at 10 Valley, um, when this church was at 10 Valley, it was, uh, uh, in a little, uh, storefront, little bar. Um, when we were over there, we had a landlord and that landlord dictated how much money we paid him every month. Right. 
And so that landlord would come in and he would say, hey, I'm having to raise, uh, raise the rent on you guys. And then he dictated that to us. I couldn't say, I've got a right to be stuck at that old rent that I had with the last landlord. No, he's a new landlord. He can raise the rent if he wants to, right? He's got all the rights. Well, the word Lord just means someone with absolute ownership rights. And whenever we are born again into a new kingdom, we give up all of our old rights. When I moved, when my family moved to Guatemala, um, when I was a kid, we, we couldn't just go to people and be like, I'm an American citizen. I don't have to do this. Right? They don't care that you're an American citizen. Matter of fact, most of the times they see you as a dollar sign and they're going to get more out of you if they can. So they didn't care that I was an American citizen. My rights didn't transfer over. Whenever I'm born again into the kingdom of God, my rights don't transfer over. So, so here's the thing we've got to know. We've got to know, we've got to believe that he is Lord. He has all ownership rights over me. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He says you're not your own. You don't own you. He owns you. And that may seem bad to you. If it seems bad to you, it's because our culture says, I am my own man. I am the master of my ship. Listen, no, you're not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christ follower, he's the master of the ship. He owns the land. He owns you. And we need to find comfort in that, in believing that. Here's what the the context of that verse. So he says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. The context of that is if you back up to verse 12, Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul says, there's a lot of things I may have the right to do, but it may not be the right thing to do. Just because you've got the right to do it, doesn't mean it's the thing you need to be doing. And so what we do is we give up our rights. When we believe deeply that he is Lord, we give up all of our, I've got the right to, we give all that up to him. Now he's in charge. The second thing we need to believe in deeply is we need to believe that he is the Messiah. The Messiah is just a a word for the Savior. He's, He's the one that takes away the sin of the world, the I heard someone say the other day, he lived a life I couldn't live and, and died a life, uh, died a death that I, that I couldn't die. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus did. And then he died as a sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. Things that I couldn't do, things that I can't take away, sins that I can't free myself from. Only Jesus could do it. And I need to believe not only is he my Lord, but I need to believe he is my Messiah. He also is the one that frees me from my sin. And listen, that takes away so much pressure from me to try to do it myself. I was talking to someone the other day about about exercise. And um, we were talking about different gyms in the area and different things, uh, forms of fitness or whatever. And and, and one of the things we were talking about is is how important it is to have a plan whenever you're trying to to be fit. Whether it's your eating or your... Um, your body, whatever the case is. And, and so in one of the things we were talking about is I said, I said, you know, I, I did not ever like just working out on my own because when I just worked out on my own, I just did whatever I liked and none of the other stuff, right? So, so I only did the things that I liked, that I enjoyed. I never did the things that really made me better. 
And, and I said, I loved whenever I worked out on my own to have a plan. Like I would, I would pay for a subscription to have a plan just to have someone else tell me what to do. I, would, I, I started going to a gym now where, where I've got coaches that tell me what to do. My, my workout is written out for me every single day. Why? Because I enjoy, I find freedom, I find freedom in having someone else do the hard part for me. Whenever we're constantly trying to make ourselves better in life and we're trying to take away our own sin through our own efforts, we, we are bound up in that and we don't have freedom. But when someone else called Jesus comes along and says, I'll do all the hard stuff, I'll take away your sin, I will, I will give you freedom because of my sacrifice, now we find freedom in that. It feels good. It takes the pressure off of us. Jesus said this in John four sixteen. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was a shock to the culture because our culture today doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We want to make everybody feel good. We want to make everybody feel, feel comfortable. And Jesus said, I'm not about comfort. I'm about truth on this one. And the truth is, I am the truth. The truth is, I am the way. The truth is, I am the life. And nobody gets to God except through me. I have to be the Messiah in your life. You have to believe deeply that I'm the Messiah. That I'm the way, the truth, and life. The way, the truth, the life. There's not a variety of ways. There's not a variety of truths. It's not about living your truth and me living my truth. Nope. It's about us living his truth. The next thing that he is, is we got to believe deeply that he's a good shepherd. John 10, 14 and 15 says this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life, lay down my life for the sheep. That word know there doesn't just mean to be an acquaintance. The word know there is, it means um, intimacy. It's the same term that is used um, in, in, in intimacy between a man and a woman or, or intimacy between uh, two close friends. It's that same term of, of knowing somebody deeply. And Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know deeply. I have a deep experience and connection with my sheep. And they know me back. We have a deep, intimate connection. So I got to know that he is my shepherd Listen, a shepherd cares for and leads the flock. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's still the shepherd. Even in the presence of my enemies, he's still the shepherd. I'm going to say this next part, it's going to be a little tough. Our family got a bad report this week. My father-in-law got a report of possible cancer. Lymph nodes, lungs, and liver. It's not a good report. But even when the doctor gives me a bad report, he's still my shepherd. He's still my shepherd. Even when my spouse cheats on me. That didn't happen. That's not a good example. (laughs) Even if my spouse cheats on me, he's still my shepherd. But see, what we do sometimes is we go through a bad time and we like him to be our shepherd when everything's going well. But we get mad. We get mad when we say, we start saying, God, why did you do this? God, why is this happening? We get mad that he's still our shepherd. He never said he's only going to lead us to green pastures. He never said he's only going to lead us besides still waters. He said he's going to lead us into the presence of our enemies. He's going to lead us in the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to lead us through the bad doctor's report. He's going to lead us through the bad marriage time. He's going to lead us even, even whenever our boss fires us or our dream crumbles in front of us. He still is going to lead us because he's our shepherd. And he loves us and he cares for us and he has a deep connection to us. 
The last one is this. We've got to believe deeply that He is the vine. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the vine, which means that he is my source of life. He's the source of every good thing that I produce. He's the vine. He's the one that I draw from. He's the one that holds me up. He is the vine. And there's some of you today that that we think sometimes that it's about us. There's times when I think it's about me. And he has to remind me that he is the vine, not me. I'm just a branch. Just a branch. Let me end with this final thought. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Now Jesus has been up on a mountain. He's He's been... on this mountain with some of the disciples and, and, and they come down off the mountain. When they come down off the mountain, they find this huge disturbance, right? People are going nuts and there's a big, big battle happening as far as the disciples are concerned. And, and Jesus is like, what is going on down here? And this guy says, my son needs a healing. My son has this spirit that, that's been, uh, that has possessed him. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't fix it. They couldn't do anything about it. And, and he's like, somebody's got to help me. And there's this whole big disturbance. And, and Jesus comes up to him and, and Jesus begins to talk to him about his faith. And, and that's where Jesus says that about um, if you have faith, it's the size of a mustard seed. You can move mountains. And, and Jesus begins to talk about faith. And, and, and he says, do you believe? And the guy says this. It's so interesting. Mark 9, 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I, I always read that and I thought, that's so weird. I believe. Help my unbelief. It's like two contradicting statements, an oxymoron, right? Like it's two things that don't really go together. And, and as I began to study that, one of the things I, I found out is that this guy, he did truly believe that Jesus could do something. But he also, because he's in the presence of Jesus, recognized all the areas of his life where he didn't really believe. And we come to church a lot of times and we can say, I believe. I told the worship team this morning, I said, you'll never have an impact as a worship team unless you believe the words you're singing. Otherwise, you're just singing good songs, and that's great. But unless you believe deeply that he is who that song says he is, you'll never impact anybody's life with your song. So this father is right where a lot of us, I think, find ourselves, myself included. Is we say, God, I believe... But boy, there's some areas in my life where there's some unbelief. I believe, but God, you know what the doctor said, and I'm really scared and I'm really worried. I believe, but you know, right now the business is in the red. It's not in the black, and I'm really struggling. I believe, in the, but the economy is crashing, and I don't know if I'll ever get to build this house. And this, this guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The word trust there is the same as believes. Romans 15, 13 says, This is my prayer for you today. As a matter of fact, won't you stand up with me this morning? Jordan, will you bring this light sound just a little bit? Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. 
Notice it doesn't say when you believed that one time when you were 12. Notice it doesn't say when you believed last Sunday when you were at church. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. As you continue in your belief every single day, waking up, no matter what report, no matter what the news says, no matter what the weather's like, that I wake up every morning and I say, God, today I believe you are my Lord, you are my Messiah, you are my shepherd, you are the vine, I got nothing except what comes from you. Every day I have to wake up and I have to believe these things because culture is constantly trying to make me drift away. Every day I got to wake up, I got to believe. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. When we are believing, that gives us hope. When we're believing, that gives us hope. Yeah, but Gabriel, what about like, you get the bad doctor's report and you believe for a healing and then the healing doesn't come. You still die. What about you get, the, you, you, you get the financial report and you're believing that your business is going to make it, but the business still crumbles and goes under? What, what, what about whenever you, you, you catch your spouse and, and, and y'all are having this issue and you believe that God's going to restore everything, but it doesn't work out the way you believed it was going to happen? I have to believe that he's still my shepherd, that he's still leading me, and guiding me that he's never left me. Just because things don't turn out the way I want them to doesn't mean that there's not a conclusion somewhere else. See, you might just be at the end of a chapter, but you're not at the end of the book. And he's the author, the Bible says, of our faith, our faithfulness, our believing. He's the one that writes the story. My goal is to get to the end of the, end of the book. And so I've got to trust him and believe in him every step of the way. We've got some folks who are going to come down. They, they want to pray with you today. Um, there may be a lot of you this morning that say, hey, I've got some stuff I need, I need prayer for. I need somebody to pray. I believe, help my unbelief, right? I believe, help my unbelief. I've got some areas of life that I'm really struggling in. Maybe today you're not even born again. Maybe you say, I've been living my life my way. I've been doing things my way, but I need to be born again. I need him to be Lord and Messiah. I need him to take away some sin in my life. I need to repent. I got some junk. Someone's, the Holy Spirit's peeling back that onion of my life. And there's some things inside of me that need to change. Whatever the case is, whatever the case is, I want you to find someone down at the front and I want you to allow them to pray with you. What did we say earlier? I need you and you need me to help carry the burdens. To help carry the burdens. Because I can't do it by myself. And so we've got some folks down here that love you and care for you. And they want to pray with you today.